We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. We had a little false start on the back end. We tried to start the show once and it didn't fire up. And now here we are. We are ready to go. Happy Halloween, ladies. I got something to say. It's better to burn out than to fade away. Have you ever seen Highlander, Jesse? No. Nope. Classic movie from the 80s. Oh, man. You need to see Highlander sometime. Who wants to live forever? That's what I want to, you know. It's, uh, it's about this guy. Scottish Highlander, and uh, turns out he is immortal, and he lives through the centuries, and uh, he's he ends up in uh, in modern day New York. It's a good flick, good flick. You should check it out. I think they made a TV series out of it at one point. It sounds just speechless. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's one of those that I saw many times. Back in the 80s. I think Christopher Lambert was the name of the guy who starred in it. Don't really know like what uh, you know what other things that he's done, but it's a it's a pretty good pretty good flick. Chief Brody is all over you. Come on, Jesse, you gotta watch Highlander. Look it up. Look it up while you're here next week. See if you can find it on one of the streamers. <laughs> watch Highlander. Quality. Well, it is Halloween. Um, I almost feel like underdressed because all these tv shows that i am watching today you know everyone's dressed up in costumes and stuff like that but we're just dressed up like ourselves i guess <laughs> see apparently there was a series sloppy joe highlander series sucked joe allen uh tv series was horrible so i i was right at least there was a highlander series but i I'm glad I didn't watch it because those guys just told you apparently that it was not very good, but it was, uh, it, yeah. So, so like the Highlander guy, he had this sword and again, you know, like to kill other people who were immortal like him, you had to cut their heads off. So it was like all these sword fights and stuff <laughs> like that, like parking garage sword fights. And so it was like kill bill. I was not quite like kill bill, but there were swords, sword play anyway. Well, we've got uh, Notre Dame and Clemson coming up this week. This is going to be my only show this week. Jesse and Vince are going to get you through the rest of the week because I will be on a plane to Paris tomorrow night. So that's where I will be. Wee oui, wee. Oui. Calling Notre Dame, South Carolina next Monday night, the women's basketball matchup. First ever college basketball game 
in the City of Lights, Paris, France, next Monday, 1 o'clock Eastern Time. It'll be on ESPN. It'll be, of course, on the Notre Dame Radio Network, Odyssey app, all that kind of good stuff. So, got that coming up next week. But we've got Notre Dame Clemson this week. We've got plenty of football to talk about. So, let me just throw this at you. We're going to hear that some of the Dabo Sweeney stuff, by the way, <laughs> later on. In the I was going to say, he gave us uh, some good material leading up to this week. He it's did. It's always nice when the opposing team just uh, yeah. he's one up for you. It was perfect for Clemson week for him to, to drop all that. You know, Jess, I've talked before about how during the course of a football season, especially when you're Notre Dame or really any other high-profile team, but I think especially in college football because the playoff – Things work a little bit differently in the NFL, but still, it's a week-to-week situation. Every game tends to be a referendum on something, whether it's the head coach, the defensive coordinator, the offensive coordinator, the quarterback, whatever it happens to be, because of the one-game-a-week nature and the length of a football season, every week tends to be a referendum on something. So my question to you as we start this thing off today is this Clemson game this week the ultimate prove-it game for Marcus Freeman in terms of where his program is as he nears the end of season number two? Yeah, so I looked at this in kind of two microscopes. One, you have preseason game and then, you know, outlook, and now you have kind of, you know, after both teams have gone through eight or nine games now, kind of looking at it at a much closer uh, look. At the beginning of the season – I would say that this was marked down as one of those prove it games just because of, you know, where Clemson has been in the past um, and, and knowing kind of that upper echelon of college football, you know, like Ohio State, Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, I think you would put in that upper echelon. Um, but now that we've neared this game, I don't necessarily see it as a prove it type game anymore just because of how Clemson has played, you know, throughout the regular season. I think if Clemson had two losses or maybe a one loss team, then yeah, sure. It would be a prove it game. But the only thing that makes this game challenging in my opinion is that you're going on the road into an environment that is known for a good home field advantage. So um, I don't necessarily see this as a prove it game for Marcus. Mm-hmm. I see okay. it as like, so I, the better way for me to prove, to put it is, there's three games left in the regular season for Notre Dame. I think that those three games combined are one prove it, one prove it. Like, <laughs> I think a prove it series. Yeah, exactly. I think Clemson, uh, Wake Forest, and Stanford is a, a is a prove it series. And step one along the series is obviously Clemson because that's who you're playing first. I'm more so concerned about how Marcus Freeman finishes out the regular season as a whole, right? Because you can go from an eight and four coach to a 10 and two coach and, you know, you start looking at those losses. I I think that there is definitely growth from the season before. And that's what you ask for, you know, amongst the head coaches that they're showing uh, continued growth season after season. So I I think there's more to be said of how Marcus Freeman finishes out these last three games, because if he wins this game and then loses the last game, then you would say that, you know, that it like this, how could this be a prove it game? Because you lost the the regular, the last game of the season. Right. So, I just think all these last three games should be lumped into one, and they're they're all kind of prove-it games in continuum or in series, I guess. 
I get what you're saying, and it's and, and I don't disagree with sort of the thesis that you made there that that you do kind of lump these all together as Sloppy Joe, who uh, and by the way, I don't know if we've heard from Sloppy Joe before today. Not all four and four teams are made the same. Three of Clemson's four losses are by one score. Two losses in overtime can't overlook. I don't disagree with that. Yeah. But this just isn't the Clemson of the past. I guess that's the biggest thing I'm getting at. And that is why I think this is still a huge prove-it game for Marcus Freeman. Because if Clemson was the Clemson of last year and two years ago, this is this obviously on paper looks like a much more daunting task. You're going to Clemson, you're facing Clemson. You know, it's one thing to beat Clemson at home the way you did last year, but Freeman and company, Al Golden's defense took Cade Klubnick and DJ Uyangalale, really more DJ Uyangalale, but Cade Klubnick, it, you know, tried to in relief and Dabo Sweeney took it behind the woodshed and just beat him down. But now you've got to go on the road, and this game does look different because it's a 4-4 and Clemson team and not a Clemson team that's on its way to double-digit wins. Like even last year, Notre Dame – was or Clemson, rather, was a top-10 team at the time they played. They didn't end up in the top-10, but they still won double-digit games at the end of the season. And I think this is a prove-it for Marcus Freeman because, one, you've got to go on the road – where you haven't played your best football. They've definitely played much better in their home games than they have played on the road. Their last road game was five turnover fest, a beatdown loss at the hands of Louisville. So if Louisville can do that to you, even a, a, a Clemson team and it's down year should be able to do that to you. And just because, you know, again, Clemson is four and four doesn't mean you're going to overlook them. There's, they're going to have a really good – defense and Sam Hartman is not playing his best football right now and he's got to prove that he can come out this they've got the best defense that Notre Dame is going to face the rest of the season until they get to potentially you know whatever bowl opponent that it happens to be so to me it's a prove it that Marcus Freeman can get this team prepared and go on the road and really beat a Clemson team regardless of like what the defensive stats stay and all that, this is a 500 Clemson team. And Marcus Freeman has to show that he can take a team, take his team, go on the road and beat a team now that really he is favored to beat and not, you know, fall into some kind of trap just because, okay, you know, you're playing the best defense you're going to play the rest of the year and probably the second best defense that you've played all year, you're going to have a, a, a huge advantage with your defense against Clemson's offense because their offense is not that good. So to me, it's a prove it. And I, and I get what you're saying about how really you string these last three games together. And maybe that's your prove it because you're supposed to be favored in all these games. But to me, it's a prove it because, you know, again, it's a, it's really becomes a referendum on, how Freeman gets his teams prepared. Can you go on the road and win these kind of games and that sort of thing? We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to Indeed data, 
and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And it's interesting hearing you kind of lay it out. Um, in that manner, because there are there's a lot of it that I essentially agree with. And I think the main thing that you're hitting at here is Notre Dame is favored to win, but you're still going on the road against a team that that has the talent to beat you if you're not careful, if you don't do the things that you're supposed to. And so in that manner, it does become a prove it game, because in these situations in the past where Notre Dame is maybe favored or, you know, there's a slight hurdle or disadvantage, AK going on the road in a tough environment. The other team still has the talent, but Notre Dame needs to perform better and prove that they can consistently outperform some of these teams that are just mediocre at the end of the day, right? Like they have enough talent, again, to beat you if you're if you have an off day, but that's got to be the prove it of Marcus Truman can't have off days anymore. He has to consistently right. bring his team and the right. best version of his team no matter if it's 7 p.m. at home, noon on the road, uh, you know, beginning of September or end of November. Yes, exactly. And we this will be a November game, and you get into November now, and how you finish the season is so important. For all the knocks on Brian Kelly, his teams did very well in the month of November, especially the last five years, and Marcus Freeman has to continue that. And uh, – so I just I, I think that there is a lot for him and a lot for this program to prove when they go to Clemson, win this game because it will be a tough challenge. Because I, as I, as I somebody said, oh yeah, here here it is, right here. Regardless of the record, they still have tier one talent playing at home in a very difficult environment. If Notre Dame has really turned the corner since Louisville debacle, they have to win, but it won't be easy. Yeah, great comments there, Jeff, and that's kind of kind of the point. You've got to show that you've bounced back from Louisville. And Sam Hartman really, really has some things to prove himself. Like he hasn't looked the same, even you know, going back before the Louisville game. It, you know, it really like it looked like the end of that Duke game, even though he didn't necessarily do it via the passing game. Like maybe that was kind of a, you know, an ignition switch for Sam Hartman. But we've seen a different Hartman these last few weeks. He's been really fortunate that the defense has turned its game up and done what it's done, causing 10 turnovers in the last two games because 
Like even the, you know, like the points, because I know, you know, I've seen some, well, they're, you know, they're this in scoring offense now in the nation. Well, let's not forget that what two of those, what two of the touchdowns were pick sixes or no, a, uh, a return fumble and then a pick six as well. You've got a couple returns by the special teams. So, you know, the, the, the defense has actually scored some of those points officially, it says scoring offense, but all they do is look at your total point scored. They don't sub- subtract pick sixes and special teams touchdowns from that. So it kind of makes the offense appear a little bit better than it is. We all know that there's still a lot of room for improvement for, for both Sam Hartman and the offense. And that's going to be really the biggest challenge, I think, that they have this weekend. Because the defense, after they finally let the defensive line kind of crank it up and, and play a little bit freer, they put so much pressure on these quarterbacks, whether it's Caleb Williams or whoever Pitt wanted to try to throw out there last week. I mean, that is really what's been leading the charge these last couple of games with this scoring frenzy. It's been created predominantly by the defense with a big assist to the special teams as well. Yeah, I think that the defense has done um, a tremendous job of getting pressure um, and providing more relief to an already very talented um, secondary, we saw it against Caleb Williams and we saw it again against Pittsburgh is, you know, when you create havoc, you put the quarterback in bad situations and you force them into bad throws. Um, and then your talented secondary can um, ultimately take over from there. And then getting back to some of the Sam Hartman comments, and, and this will kind of, you know, I think we'll get into here a little bit uh, when talking about, uh, you know, some of our, our next topics in Notre Dame quarterbacks. But, you know, I, I what I fear most right now is that and a lot of people have put it in the chat you know five passing touchdowns over the last five games is really really not good and that's my point like we keep talking you know you know who those opponents were as well yes yes because the louisville you know louisville should not have done what they did to notre dame and even duke like when you look at what duke you know what's happened to Duke, you know and Good one of those defense. touchdowns was a garbage touchdown against Louisville in bad yeah, time. So exactly. really it's like four touchdowns in five games. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, again, I think that there's just a lot to prove. And, and when you consider the fact now, it, you know, and again, it kind of backs up your point a little bit that it's not just Clemson, but it's also Wake Forest and Stanford, how they finish the season with these three games. But for Wake Forest and Stanford to matter, you have to go on the road and win this game against Clemson. And they've been the underdog the last few times they faced Clemson. And they've won some of those matchups. But now they're favored, even though they're not favored by a ton. I think it's only still three points on the road. But that's almost, you know, Clemson's going to get three points just for being the home team. So they're, all, they're, they're basically kind of calling it a pick em type game but that also kind of speaks to some of the stuff that we're talking about the fact that Vegas thinks of it in those terms despite the fact that Clemson is four and four but Notre Dame is playing for a chance to get into a New Year's Six Bowl that is still a big possibility and there's a big difference between playing potentially Alabama in the Peach Bowl or LSU in the Peach Bowl or you know whichever and wherever it ends up being and maybe Kansas in the Pop-Tarts Bowl (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know and that's yeah prediction or projection right now and by the way thank you andy sailor you're right rock chuck jayhawk very nice win on saturday against oklahoma 
Go ahead, Jess. So I think the overarching issue is, and this is up for, I think, anyone's personal interpretation, is Sam Hartman playing within the constraints that he's given? Or is he trying to play outside of constraints and it's just not going well? Because I think Marcus Freeman is very aware of how good the defense is. I think he's very aware of that a lot of his skill players on offense are young guys, you know, a lot of young wide receivers. Um, and I would say that the the biggest strength they have is their run game. Audrey Estime is one of the top running backs in the country in terms of yards and touchdowns and yards per carry. And, you know, just about every statistic, he, he falls at least top 10, if not top five. And so if you're Marcus Freeman and you have a really good defense and you have a really good you know, but a, a top tier, top 90% kind of run game. Are you asking your quarterback, even with all of his, his experience, to peel it back a little bit, you know? Well, I mean, we did see them take some shots last week. The shot downfield to Chris Tyree, the shot downfield to Tobias Merriweather. And they talked about you need to, they needed to get Tobias Merriweather more involved. So they still want him to do it. I, it, it's, it's just confounding to look at it sometimes. Because there are some opportunities there that it doesn't seem like Hartman is always kind of willing to pull the trigger. I think that that's kind of still out there for whatever reason. Yeah, it's just it, it, you kind of start looking at the the stats between, you know, last year's Drew Pine and, and this year's Sam Hartman. And really the only difference to me is, you know, Drew Pine, like the touchdown numbers are on pace. Sam Hartman's just got a little bit higher of a tick in total yards. And his interceptions are down. But really, if you look at it, they're playing kind of the same style of quarterback. You're just interchanging a guy that has a bit more experience and a guy that has a little bit more of trust. So I just, again, I don't know how much of this is a system kind of molded quarterback type scenario, right? Or, again, is is Sam Hartman just not playing his best? And not reading, you know, things well, as well as he's has he has in the past. And look, there were some people who were down on Sam Hartman before this season ever started, and with the transfer, and it's like, oh, you know, this guy with all the, you know, talking about the turnovers that he had and the, you know, the interceptions at Wake Forest. And I mean, look, with a with a body of work and being able to, we've seen him for nine games now. We've seen good and bad. From Sam Hartman. And I, I do think the good far outweighs the bad. So don't take this, you know, in, in the wrong direction. I'm not like, like knocking on Sam Hartman, but at the same time, there is a reason that you're still around and a viable option to stay in college for a sixth year when you've been around and thrown as many touchdown passes as Sam Hartman did in his first five years. And maybe we're just seeing a little bit more of that. Now, these, these last few weeks as Notre Dame, I mean, he played some good teams when he was at Wake Forest, but really he probably played, you know, one big game a year, maybe two, right? I mean, the stretch that he came out of, even though, again, Louisville was not nearly as good as as what Louisville was that night. I mean, look at just look at the disparity and like the whole Pittsburgh-Louisville-Notre Dame little triumvirate there. It's just very, <laughs> very bizarre. But my point is, he never faced a four-game stretch at Wake Forest like he came out of in that Ohio State to Duke to Louisville to USC type stretch. So you're saying that there's potential that 
the opponents, some of these tougher opponents have kind of more settled down some of his inflated looking type numbers. Yeah. He's not playing in that same kind of system, obviously. Gimmicky right. type system, much more traditional system. I thought that just like his ability to read the defenses, you know, again, when you look at the kind of throws he is willing to make versus the kind of throws he is not willing to make, longer versus shorter type stuff. And, and some, you know, sometimes maybe like it seemed like early on he was really getting that ball out. But again, you're facing a different, you know, much lower caliber of defenses that he was facing compared to what he got into in that stretch and obviously throw USC out of there. They were supposed to be a better team, but you know what I'm saying? And that, that was still a rivalry game and all that, but it just, I, I don't know. You know, again, there aren't too many sixth year guys that had the kind of resume that Sam Hartman had. And again, the good is far outweighed the bad, but there, there are still, there, there's still, I think enough indecisiveness there to kind of go, well, you know, you can kind of see why he was still around as a sixth-year option. Yep. Jeff, I wanted to throw this up there. Jeff asked, your guys' level of confidence. They win Saturday. This is another stepping stone in the Marcus Freeman era. Win to help cement possible New Year's six game really gives momentum going into 2024. I would say my confidence level, it's around seven and a half, eight. If the defense plays like it has played the last couple of games, they're going to put the offense in good enough position. I mean, Clemson's defense is going to get some wins against Notre Dame's offense out there Saturday. It's it's a lot of this is on Notre Dame's defense and really kind of forcing the issue, make Klubnik make some mistakes, that kind of thing. So I give it a seven and a half, eight, my level of confidence. How about you, Jess? <clears throat> So, yeah, putting 10 out of 10 as being completely confident, I think you lose one point for going on the road. So that puts me down at a nine. Um, I, I'm going to knock down another point to an eight because even though Notre Dame um, won by a lot against Pittsburgh over the weekend, a lot of that was aided, like you highlighted, by you know special teams, defensive plays, et cetera. We really didn't see – you know, a whole lot from the offense and the offense had really good drives going their first couple of drives and they, they, you know, they couldn't finish them. Sam Hartman threw some interceptions. So I still see the offense as an inconsistent kind of piece right now, but when you're playing a team like Pittsburgh and your defense is doing what they did, it's, it's easy to mask some of those things that, that are continuous problems. And so um, I, I would knock down, again, to an eight. And then, you know, you can't count on your special teams and defense to play like this every game. I think they'll play good, but I don't think they'll play extraordinary. I don't think they'll continue to give you pick sixes. I don't think they'll continue to give you a punt return or a kick return for a touchdown. Uh, so that's where I fall down to like a seven as well. Um, and again, I, I don't, I don't think that Clemson is better than Notre Dame in any phase of the game, but for some of the reasons I just highlighted, like, if your offense is still inconsistent, you have an off day defensively or special teams, that invites a lot of ambiguity. Ambiguity. Oh my goodness. Ambiguity. Ambiguity English. Uh, English. to to the you game. And what? So that's that's where I'm at. A seven out of ten. <laughs> okay, a couple of different things. 
Brent Smith. No, I am not saying Sam is going to choke. That's not even, that was not even close to what I was saying. I'm saying, and I mean, look, I'm going to read you some of his numbers for the last two games. Now, you know, Pitt looked respectable. 18 of 25, 288, if you just look at the line. He completed 72% of his passes. Okay, but no touchdowns and two bad interceptions. I mean, we can all agree those were bad interceptions, right? Is there any world where both of those were not bad interceptions? I don't Jeff? think so. I, I no. think that the first one you might be able to get off with like Like Marcus Freeman talked about maybe they weren't on the same page with the route or something like that, but it definitely was a little bit underthrown. USC, 13 of 20, 126 yards. Now, again, they got three possessions in plus territory, so they didn't have to go as far. Okay, two touchdown passes, no interceptions. Louisville, we don't even need to read the stats there. All you need to know is three (laughs) interceptions, two touchdowns, one of them a garbage time touchdown. Duke, no touchdown passes. Ohio State, one touchdown pass. So when you go back and you look at these last five games, you've got five touchdown passes and five interceptions for Sam Hartman versus 13 and zero in the first four games of the season against much puffier competition. And that's all I'm saying as the competition has gotten better, the numbers have gotten worse and the play has gotten worse. All you need is the eyeball test. And again, I'm not saying that like, you know, this is like, oh, we're borderline <clears throat> time to bench Sam Hartman, any of that, because someone else asked, do you think if Hartman struggles and Jelly gets a chance? No, I don't. Hartman is still the answer, but it's still like there's there's just something that's got to click for Sam Hartman, I think, to really get this offense going once again. Because then like, like David Jones said, but Sam has also had to deal with the offensive line playing some part at times. Well, do you think that the offensive line at Notre Dame is worse than any offensive line he had at Wake Forest when he was throwing almost 40 touchdown passes a season? No, he's got a much better offensive line here than he has. He's got a much better running game than he has here. Uh, wide receivers dropping balls, David Jones says. Every quarterback has dropped balls. Every team has that. So uh, I'm not going to use that as an excuse, you know, like there's always going to be drop balls. And and again, I'm not slamming Sam Hartman because I think the leadership that he has shown, just all the intangible stuff that he has shown, like is, is above and beyond. It's exactly what you want in a veteran quarterback coming in here. It's just that for whatever reason, the play has not been up to the highest standard in these last five or so games. And I just went through all the stat lines, five touchdowns, five interceptions over the last five games. Like, you know, we've been sitting there looking at those season over under numbers for the touchdown totals and the games are shrinking now. And he's still sitting there on 18 touchdown passes for the season. We were all laughing at 26 and a half is his number to open up the season, but he might be lucky to get there at this point, the way it's going. So I think what a lot of people are, are getting or, or might be thinking here is, you know, that this is kind of a Sam Hartman bash or, or that we're being really critical of Sam Hartman. But, you know, look at the two games that they lost in defense and special teams, I would say, did enough. Right. I think the one position that you would say didn't really do like anything explicitly horrible, but you might have expected more out of 
is the quarterback position because of, you know, Sam Hartman's experience, <clears throat> what he's done in the past. And I think if you get better play at just the quarterback position in both of those games, both of those losses are wins at the end of the day. And mm -hmm. I, I think that's, I think that's gotta be the overarching kind of message from this is I don't think Sam Hartman was horrible in those games. I just don't think he simply did enough to bring them over the top. Right. And that's the difference in those games. And, and I, I know a lot of people, you might say, okay, defense was spotty against Louisville. Yeah, sure. But that's because the offense kept going three and out and the defense was on the field consecutively. Right. And a very physical the defense matchup. got progressively worse in the second half because of the fact they were on the field so much against Louisville. That's what I, that's know, what I mean. And so they gave up some plays, but they were fatigued at that point. I don't think Sam Hartman is playing bad by any means. And I think he adds right. a tremendous amount. He is but, just not fully elevating the offense. I think the way that you would, that we expected he would and yes, the way he did early in the season. Especially in the big moments. And I think, again, I'm not trying to blame those losses on Sam Hartman, but I just not think either. if he elevated his game a little bit more, that was just the extra tick that they kind of needed to get over the hump in those big games. And so Sam Hartman's a tremendous quarterback. He's a yes. great quarterback for Notre yes. Dame and, and everything and that you're doing this year. And everything else. Right. But you can still expect a little bit more out of someone considering their past resume and right. what Notre Dame wanted and needed them for this season. Look again, all you have to do is look at those stat lines. And, you know, like the Ohio State game, and again, I'm not blaming, like he actually played fairly well in, in the Ohio State game. You know, again, we can go to like some play calling decisions and, you know, what happened on fourth and one a couple of different times, you know, and, and those kind of things. And, talk, you know, again, as, as I said, after the fact, the, the fourth and one on the sideline, he had the first down. There's there's no reason that that should have been overturned. He had the first down, and that really changes the complexion of the game right there. There was a missed field goal that changes the complexion of the game. There were a lot of little things, and obviously the last four and a half minutes changed the complexion of the game. But I said going into that game that Sam Hartman was, the, was like between the two quarterbacks, Hartman and McCord, Hartman is the guy that, if you were going to put if you were going to put the, the the game on one of the two quarterback shoulders that it would be Hartman but as it turned out who led the game winning drive at the end i mean it's that's really the signature drive in Cal McCord's career right now was was the comeback at the end you know at the end of that game they ohio state was able to put it on Cal McCord's shoulders and they won the game. Unfortunately, I mean, it's the reason why Ohio State's can probably be number one yeah. in the in the rankings tonight when they come out because they have the best notch on their resume. And why do they have that? Because Kyle McCord led a game winning drive on the very last drive of the game. Right. Exactly. All right. I wanted to talk about Steve Angeli a little bit. And again, don't take that like not beating up Sam Hartman. I still think he's a really good quarterback. But but I think we all can see that there's a different there, that there's another level of play for him to get to. And, you know, even though this offense or even though this team has scored over a hundred points in the last two games, 10 turnovers created by the defense, a couple of, a uh, couple of them returned for touchdowns and a couple of special teams touchdowns have really swayed the numbers. <laughs> it has been the defense that has been driving that over these last couple of games. What are you chuckling at? I don't think I've seen Notre Dame call a three-man pressure since that third and 19. Yeah, I mean, 
and rightfully so. They have they have uh, they have released the hounds the last few games with the defensive line, and I really I really love it the way that that Al Golden has the, the direction that Al Golden has gone defensively since then. It has made a big difference, and he's he's letting these guys play, and they are out there playing, and they've just become a turnover creating machine. I love to see it. I mean, it's just yeah. I, when when Benjamin Morris and Cam Hart are out, and your play slightly elevates or or stays the same between um, Mickey and um, Christian Gray, like what more can you ask for from a defensive standpoint, mm-hmm. right? Like, <laughs> I do agree with this. Like Matt Bohr and and Giggity Giggity said kind of the same thing as well. The his progressions are slow, you know, as he goes through his progressions. I. I think is it is a little bit slower than a, than you know again at the start of the season it didn't look like that but the level of competition you know like you can say what you want about Pittsburgh but that's still a defensive based team and they've always got kind of that hard nosed scheme and they weren't going to make things easy for anybody but I, I do think that that there's something to that just the way you know like the progression's not quite as quick as you would expect from a sixth year guy who's been around you know. Let's talk about Angeli. So, Steve Angeli um, and how he should be used been a fairly hot topic of conversation lately, especially as we just talked about Sam Hartman's play with the team having two losses. So, I asked Marcus Freeman to evaluate what he saw from Angeli against Pittsburgh on Saturday because we got to see Steve Angeli for basically, what, the entire fourth quarter. So here's Marcus Freeman on Steve Angeli. He had a great performance for his plays in there. I think he was almost 100% um, just off of Coach Kaduli after the game. And, and Steve is a guy we have a lot of, of, of confidence in. And, you know, to see the way he performed, the decisions he made, um, the one touchdown ball to Cooper, he made a really difficult throw look easy, right, to be able to spread. To, to roll out to your left, you know, and, and set up and throw the ball, um, you know, across your body to Cooper. That was a challenging throw, but we have a lot of confidence in Steve Angeli, and it's credit to the way he prepares, right? And I think, you know, he'll be the first one to tell you that Sam has helped him enhance his, his preparation process. Um, but when he gets a chance to go perform, he does it. And uh, I'm really proud of him and, and really glad that he had the performance that he had. And, you know, he talked about that touchdown pass to Cooper Flanagan, and you were, I believe, sitting right in that corner. Um, I near was. That corner of the end zone. And, like, seeing the roll to the left and the throw in that direction for a right-handed quarterback, I was a little surprised that he threw it, you know, that that's, that that's the kind of play that they run. It was not an easy um, throw to make, but he made it look relatively easy. What did you think of that and just his overall play Saturday? So I thought that that one, when that play was developing, I, you could see that he had two options, the underneath and kind of the deeper corner route to Flanagan. And to be honest with you, I didn't know which one he was going to throw. Obviously I wanted him to throw the touchdown ball because you could see it kind of developing. And, you know, for other reasons, I needed Notre Dame to continue to keep winning by like 44 or more points uh, throughout that game. And so as he was rolling out and, and he hit that touchdown, I thought it was a really impressive throw. Um, and I would say that, you know, some people uh, were kind of just recently commenting about, you know, Angeli looked to be going through his reads faster than Hartman. 
I will just say that it's a lot different for uh, a garbage time fourth quarter quarterback compared to a quarterback starting at the beginning of the game. You're just there's just so much less stress, right? Like when you're out there, you got really nothing to lose. You're the backup quarterback. You're just trying to show your coaches that hey, I've I've, I've made progress. And obviously, with that throw, that's that's a hell of a statement. But it's just a little bit easier to cut it loose in that situation if you're Steve Angeli compared to Sam Hartman, I guess. And so that's kind of one thing I wanted to to talk about specifically but you are you are coming into a game with a massive cushion <laughs> right and so like the the chance of you know just letting it cut loose again there's it's a lot easier to do that in that situation but I think overall and jelly has looked really good in the limited opportunities that he has he runs the offense efficiently when he's asked to throw the ball he he throws it exactly where it's supposed to go like the man has probably more touchdowns than incompletions at this point I think in just about every game he plays, he's like perfect in the passing realm, uh, maybe an incomplete pass here or there. And really, ultimately, what this leads me to is the whole kind of um, transfer portal, portal situation, right? Because if you're judging Steve Angelia on whether or not he can run this offense, I don't think he's shown anything that, to say that he can't. And I know that it's, you know, very small sample size and mop-up duty. But again, this goes back to my bigger overarching point that, I think within the realm of what Notre Dame is asking their quarterbacks to do, I don't think you need to go out and get someone extraordinary if you're just putting them into this role. I think Steve Angeli can perfectly accomplish what this offense is trying to do in terms of play design and overall design of how they want to control the clock, how they want to control the run game, etc. I don't there's nothing that Angeli has shown me that he can't do within the confines of this offense. Yeah, and as Jeff said, to your point earlier, what Jeff said, Hartman was brought in to be a difference maker in big games that were tight and a quality quarterback would make plays to get them over the hump. And that he felt, I mean, I can't completely disagree with that. Like he was brought in to be a difference maker, period. And if you're going out into the transfer portal again next year, you're going out to get a difference maker. Again, we've seen good and bad from, from Sam Hartman. The majority of the, of the good and just in terms of the actual play, I'm not talking about the intangible stuff and the leadership and stuff that he does in the community at children's hospitals and, you know, all these different (laughs) things, which is all great, but I'm talking about the actual play, the best that he has shown so far, like Drew Pine was winning some of those games last year. Tyler Buckner would have won some of those games last year. Now, obviously Drew Pine and Tyler Buckner combined to lose, at least one of those games, but there were other issues, I think, you know, just foundationally that they were still trying to work out. But has Sam Hartman been the difference maker in the big games? He hasn't been that to this point. So if you're looking forward, I think you're right. Like Angeli has shown that he can run the offense. And I mean, and again, limited sample size, but he has shown that that he can at least work within the constraints of what they're giving him. I'm not, but like, you know, the questions about does Sam Hartman get benched if he's playing poorly? I, I mean, I, I, I don't think we're even close to that. I don't think there's a right world now. where that even happens. You're just no. not going to bench a six-year guy that came specifically here for one year right. and and is and and has the accolades that he does. He still is going to give you the best chance to win every game. Right, but again, like you, you got like a almost a once in a lifetime situation with a guy of this experience and all the touchdown passes he had thrown and everything else, but he hasn't been a true difference maker in the big games 
on Saturdays so far, with the exception of, you know, like the biggest play being that, you know, fourth down scramble against Duke. You know, like that was, you know, that that was obviously a big time play. You're not winning that game without it. But over the course of the entire game and over the course of all the big games that you've played, he hasn't been that kind of difference maker. And there's no guarantee that just because you go to the portal and get a guy with more experience that that's going to do anything for you. And we've been talking at different points over the course of this season, and especially now within the last few weeks about portal versus staying in-house and developing your own guys because at some point you've got to start this chain of developing your own guys to come through your system, guys you recruit who can go out and start winning games for you. And you've got Angeli and Minchi next year. And, of course, you've got C.J. Carr coming in next year as well. And we had this whole transfer portal conversation last week. But, you know, I know people want to say, well, You've got all this inexperience at quarterback, so you've got to go out and get a transfer portal quarterback if you can because you lack experience once again. Well, what happens a, a year later then? You've still got a room full of inexperienced quarterbacks, so are you going to go out to the transfer portal again? At some point, you've got to bite the bullet, and you've got to play somebody who's not going to have nearly you as put much your foot in the ground as you want. Right, but it's also why I asked Marcus Freeman as follow-up about Angeli if there would be a benefit in Angeli playing in more high leverage game situations this year for both his development and for the coaching staff's evaluation of that development. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And here's what Freeman said to that. If we if we have the opportunity to get um, Steve or any of those guys in the game, it, we should. I mean, meaningful, you know, versus opponent, it's a lot different than just practice. You know, where you're not going to get hit in practice. You know, and so anytime we can do that, um, we're, we're definitely going to do it. Now, the number one objective is to make sure we win and we put a, our team in position to be successful, and, and that can be in multiple different ways. But more importantly, if we have a chance to, to put Steve or any of those guys in the game, we, we definitely want to. All right. So he said that there would be a benefit in getting him in in high leverage situations, but also you still have to, you know, make sure you're winning the game. So I don't know that, like, when you listen to that, do you think that he was fully bought in on the on the whole high leverage, or is he still talking about, well, you get him in there when you've got a comfortable enough lead 
to get him in there and get some playing time, like we've seen a couple of times already for Angeli. What do you think? Yeah, I think it was more of the latter of what you were saying. You, That's you what get, it felt like to me. You get him in there when you got a comfortable lead um, and that kind of situation. I don't think you'll see Angeli be playing any um, high leverage snaps, right? Like a game that's still close. I don't think you're just going to see Angeli kind of roll out on the field um, type situation. But I think what Marcus Stream was ultimately getting at is like, yeah, it, it is It is nice to see, you know, your guys out against other opponents and do evaluation compared to, you know, just practice and going against, you know, the, the second string defense or the first string defense, whatever it might be uh, when Steve Angeli is getting reps. But I think there is nothing better than, you know, in the limited opportunities, you want to see him high leverage to him. To, for Steve Angeli is just getting into a game against another opponent, you know, compared to just your own team and practice. So I think that is ultimately what Marcus Freeman was getting at. Yeah. Now I think that there is some benefit, but again, like it's not going to happen this week against Clemson. You're not just going to work him in against Clemson. Um, but at the same time, I think that games like Wake Forest and Stanford, have the potential to give you the opportunity. Stanford's still just kind of in the back of my mind. I don't know if it's just because of last year or because <laughs> of the comeback they had against Colorado, you know, the new head coach and everything, but that one's kind of sticking. It's in the back teeing of my mind. up back to like, uh, what was that, 20, like 14, 2013, when Stanford beat Notre Dame at the end of the season to take mm-hmm. away a more meaningful game, I think ultimately, right. right? That's like kind of what it's setting up to feel like right now. Yeah. Paul with a super chat. Thank you, sir. He says with the restrictions on transfers at Notre Dame, the pool is much smaller for Notre Dame to find a good fit for a QB transfer anyway. Well, true and not true. I mean, if you get an undergrad, that's the case. But if you go the grad transfer route, then you don't, you know, the the, the restrictions are not a concern at all because with the grad transfer, you can basically get anyone as long as they've already got a degree, you're going to get them in but it's you know if they're an undergrad transfer that's that's when things get a little bit stickier but and that's the kind of guy that they're going to be looking for because you're going to be looking for someone who's probably got at least a couple of years of experience and you know everyone's talking about Riley Leonard we don't even know for sure that Riley Leonard is going to be available I don't think either one of us are necessarily sold on him as an option especially as you apply it to like if you compare Riley Leonard to this system that Notre Dame has and the kind of quarterbacks that Notre Dame has. I just, I don't see it as much. Cam rising is, you know, from Utah is, is like really, he's the most intriguing one to me. If he were to become available. Yeah. I think that between rising, between Rising and Leonard, I think that Rising definitely brings much more to the table. I think they're guys who have very mobile, uh, you know, mo- being mobile is a part of their game. Um, but I, I think that Rising's got a much more stronger, um, accurate arm. And he's, he's also played against, I would say, just a little bit better of like competition in, in, in some of those Pac-12 games. He's played in more meaningful type situations as compared to Riley Leonard. So, um, I, it, when you're comparing the two, I don't think either is like a great fit for Notre Dame, but between the two, I think Cam Rising would be more intriguing. Yeah. James with an interesting 
point to make. If we're getting much better talent in the quarterback room, let's see what Gino and Jared Parker are made of. Also, a move to the portal says you don't believe in your quarterbacks and your quarterback coach getting it done. I mean, like, you know, again, like, I, I don't – there are some who believe that that getting a portal quarterback is a must. There are others who believe that it's, you know, it's uh, – it, it, it's it's all but a done deal. Like they're going to go out and do it again. Like all you're doing is delaying the whole process by another year. These guys aren't going to have any more experience another year from now compared to what they're going to have going into next year, just because you go out and get another transfer portal quarterback. The only way they're going to have more experience is if you're willing to work them in you know, to like a series or two a game, kind of like what I was talking about with the Angeli question in higher leverage situation, you know, like if you're going to work them in, but then again, now you've got what a platoon system and all that kind of stuff. And that just never really seems to work. They're, re they, they're recruiting much better at the quarterback position right now than they were a few years ago. So I'm, I'm more on the lines of go with the guys you're bringing in, get them developed and get him out there and go. I mean, Kyle McCord didn't have – now, he had handfuls of – basically, he had Steve Angeli-type experience because he was getting in at the end of games, you know, when when C.J. Stroud and Justin Fields, you know, like when – when I guess, no, it was more just C.J. Stroud, I guess. You know, like when, when those games turned into blowouts, Kyle McCord could get on the field and run a few plays and do that kind of stuff, but he didn't have any more high-leverage – type experience than Angeli, you know, and things have worked out pretty well for him. Now, granted, the program is in a little bit different state at Ohio State because of the way they've recruited forever and forever, but C.J. Stroud didn't have that much more experience. You know, Justin Fields didn't have that much again. They've done the, you know, they've recruited well and they've plugged their own guys in year after year. You're shaking your head. So you agree? Yep. I got nothing more to add to that. Okay.